Hello, I'm Pastor Jonathan, and I want to welcome you to a very special conversation. This is a conversation that we need to step into. Our country, our community, the church is at a pivotal moment. We stand at a moment where just a couple days ago, we witnessed the death of George Floyd while he was in custody of the Minneapolis Police Department, where he died at the hands and knee of police officers who were there to serve and protect. This tragedy comes on the heels of other tragedies. And when we look around, we see that our country and our communities are hurting and broken. And so today we don't wanna be silent. We as the church, we need to speak up and to stand up and to say that racism does not align with the heart of God and we need to discuss this issue and discover a way forward. Now, we're not here to present a cure. We're actually here to start a conversation. Hopefully a conversation that is real, where we talk about race and racism and injustice, but that's also redemptive, where we discover the heart of God and we discover a way forward and how we as the church can unify and also celebrate the diversity that is part of the family of God. And so as we step into this conversation, we know that this is a delicate conversation and some may say we're saying too much or we're not saying enough, whether we're too PC or, or the comments seem to tug at our heart. But I feel in my heart that this is a conversation that we as believers must have we need to have this conversation so that we can address the challenges that our country and our community and the church are facing and discover a way forward. You know, as I reflect on the life of Jesus, what I've realized is that Jesus, he stood up for those no one would stand up for. He sat with those no one would sit with. He spoke up for those no one would speak up for. He was for the marginalized, the oppressed, and the voiceless. And today as the church, we are starting a conversation, a dialogue on how we as the church can speak up and model the life of Jesus. And so I've invited a couple friends to join me and I wanna ask you to help me welcome Pastor Jim and two of my friends, Antonio Daniels and Eric Hilliard. Could you all come on out? Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad that you're a part of this conversation. We believe that we need to sit together so that we can stand together. Thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. I, uh, I wanna just say a special thank you to you, Antonio for a conversation you and I, we had recently this past Sunday. You came up, we had a conversation it was real, it was authentic. And I wanna say thank you to you for that. In fact, your conversation with me was an answer to a prayer in my heart when I saw the news and the footage that all of us know we're talking about today of George Floyd. My heart was wrenched, my heart was aching. And I was saying, Lord, what do I need to do? And then you came up and we talked. And in that moment, I realized that 
the answer to the prayer of my heart about what I needed to do, what we needed to do, what we as a church needed to do was to have this conversation. And so I thank you for your courage to come up and have the conversation. And since then, we've had some real candid conversations, some real authentic, uh, gritty conversations. But you know, in the body of Christ, we need to have real conversations. There needs to be real dialogue. And so my question to you, Antonio, is uh, as you look, as you look at this situation with George Floyd, what is your perspective about this incident? What do we need to understand from where you sit? It's not just about George Floyd. And I think first and foremost, that's what we need to understand. Yeah. Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, Eric Gardner, Fernando Castillo, Mike Brown, the names go on and on and on. Hmm. So, so let's think about the conversation that we're having right now. Let's think about where we are in this country. You know what we're saying as men of color? Hmm. All we're asking for, practice restraint and don't kill us. Hmm. And you know what the response has been? But think about that. Think about that. We're not asking for anything outlandish or anything crazy. We are literally saying, stop killing us. We want the same equal opportunity as everyone else. And the response to that is, but. This is not a one-time issue. George Floyd was the straw that broke the camel's back. But this has been going on for years. This is systematic. Racism is a matter of the heart. That's not a part of the system. Injustice is a part of the system. And I think that's what we're, we're looking at two different issues here, but we have a choice. Racism is a choice. The system is different. We have a choice to go out and vote and change the system, but racism is a matter of the heart. And where we sit today is a conversation that needs to be had. And you said we had some candid conversations. The word that I like to use is uncomfortable. We had uncomfortable conversations. And for change to come, for change to realistically happen, we have to start in this country having uncomfortable conversations. Because when it's, it affects everyone, everyone wants to discuss it. Everyone talk, wants to talk about the global pandemic. Everyone wants to talk about COVID-19 because that impacts all of us, each and every one of us. But when we start talking about injustice and we start talking about racism, now you see people hide and they put their head in, in the ground because it doesn't impact them. Hmm. That's insightful. Hmm. That's insightful. Eric, what's, what's your take? Uh, my take on the entire thing um, and kind of associated with Antonio saying is that this whole issue just excites me. I mean, it just frustrates me and angers me and everything because as he's mentioning, it's like war on my people, okay? And I say my people, you know, African-Americans, blacks, young men, 
Um, and we'll probably get into this later on as we go on down the road and everything, but um, this is a conversation that has happened in my family, not just recently, and I'm talking about my parents, my parents, my grandparents and things like that. Hmm. This is something that is so systematic, so part of the culture, it's just frustrating that it hasn't stopped at this point in time. And there should not be a reason why this continues to go on. This type of racism, this type of insensitivity, this type of, I don't say nonchalant attitude about, I wouldn't say just black lives, because again, we do talk about how all lives matter, but when we sit from the perspective where I sit and things like that, it does look like it's black lives primarily. Granted, that's uh, brought on by the media and social media and things like that that may focus on these things because there's death all around and that sort, and we see that. But this is just, it's kind of crazy, okay? That's really what it is. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I just said, um, somebody shared something with me yesterday that really, really opened my eyes, and I hope that it would open your eyes in the this, in, in this same fashion. In Luke 15, it talks about the Lord leaving the 99 for the one, right? Yeah. So let's think about when you hear Black Lives Matter, people always respond and they say, no, 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 all lives matter. Of course, but I'll tell you this, all lives can't matter until Black Lives Matter. But oh, well, to go that. back yeah. to Luke 15, the Lord left the 99 for the one. Mm -hmm. Was it the fact that the 99 didn't matter? Hmm. Or was it the fact that the one was in danger? Yeah. So it's not the fact that the 99 that he left didn't matter, but the one that he went after oh, well. yeah. was the one that was in danger. And right now, I'll tell you this. As a black man that has accomplished all that I have accomplished hmm. at 45 years old, educated, intelligent. I've never been arrested. I'm a husband, loving husband, and a loving father, and a God-fearing man. And I feel like I'm in danger. Oh, wow. I feel like my son that is two years old right now is in danger. So it's not the fact of leaving yeah. the other lives don't matter. It's the fact that right now in this country, the one that the Lord left to go get wow. is the one that's in danger. You know, honestly, Antonio, that breaks my heart, man, that that's, mm -hmm. that that's your experience. That, that makes my heart ache, that you have a very different experience than I do. And, and you're exactly right. Jesus went after the one because he wanted the, the one to be protected. I appreciate that insight. That's very helpful for us. Wow. Uh, Eric, uh, Eric, you're a dad, you're a family man, you're, you love God, you're a husband. As a husband and a father, a, a black man and a believer, as you look at what's happening in our culture from the per perspective of family, what, what comes to your mind and your heart? Um, what comes to mind in my heart is really kind of a sadness, again, the fact that yeah. this is still going on. And I kind of talked about that a little bit before. Um, a little bit of background real quickly. Uh, I grew up in a poor household, okay, and everything. Um, 
to you know black you know, parents and everything. My uh, brother died at a young age, uh, you know, not for any reason of violence or anything, like that, but just he he passed away, and I've had to take on a lot of burden just as a young man growing up in society. Now I can go back to talking what what Antonio mentioned as well. My life. I've lived it in order to be able to continue on and to live a good life or lead a good life for my kids. But even though, and I didn't mention this, but I served in the military for 20 years as well. And mm -hmm. I went to war, went out and did things in order to protect what's going on here, okay? Mm -hmm. Coming back, and I know there's others before me who can tell the same story, you know, because I'm definitely not the first mm -hmm. who has worn a yeah. uniform and come back and face social injustice and things going on impact in the black community. Um, but when you talk about like it breaks your heart, it breaks your heart to be able to say that as soon as I take off that uniform, you know, I'm used to fighting enemies that are on the other side that I can oh, identify. Wow. But I come back home and You're I take off the uniform. I'm, I'm fighting a war here, here yeah. for my life, you know, and all because of this, all because of the color of my skin, I have to worry about if I'm going to be able to come home and see my wife the next day, be able to hug my kids that day and things like that, all because of the color of my skin. And that's a societal type of issue. And it, I, you know, I want to use other words, but yeah, it's just not, it's not a good position to be. And I will tell you, part of this conversation, like you said, the difficult conversations of what we all are having here and everything. When you say that as non-African-American pastors, leaders, just in general, there's things that you can't understand, obviously. And we say that, and, but it's a reality, though, because there are things that, you will never walk in the same shoes that I've walked in everything. Though we can walk together, but it's, it's, it's different because when you go home, you can sit with your family and you, you don't have to worry about that. I will get pulled over in a stoplight and a police officer may get scared because of the color of my skin and end up shooting me because they felt that I was a threat. Um, you, may not, you may never ever, and I hope that you don't ever have to experience something like that, but each and every day, that's something that I have had to grow up with the knowledge, just the back of your head, the knowledge that, man, today could be my last day. How do I live wow. this and everything like that? How do I make sure I avoid those landmines? Different wow. than avoiding landmines in war, you know, avoiding landmines here. How do I avoid those, you know, mm -hmm. by just trying to be a productive member of society and try to live my life so I could be with my family, be with my kids? You know, it's, uh, wow. it's heartbreaking the kind of the things that are going on and still going on, so. Yeah, it's, uh, I appreciate that, Eric. I, I think about you wore a uniform to protect and defend. That's right. Mm. And then when you take off that uniform, there are many who aren't there to protect and defend you. Uh, I, Antonio, I took some time to, to reach out to some, some of the people that I know in our Westover family that are black and African-American. And I just said, hey, help me understand. And what you guys are saying has been the common refrain. It's been, we, we worry to drive down the street. We worry to take out, out the trash. We worry, to, we worry about wearing a hoodie and putting the hood up or jogging and, and that boggles my mind. But I hear it and my heart breaks for it because that's, yeah. that's your experience. Uh, you know, you both are dads. You're, you both are dads, you're raising children in 2020. Uh, how do you explain these situations and, and 
for lack of a better word, racism in, in America? And how do, you, how do you do that? How do you navigate that? I'm going to tell you an experience I had, me and my wife had this past weekend. There's nothing worse than seeing the innocence of your child snatched out by the ignorance of this country. Wow. Jordan, who was our nine-year-old, saw the George Floyd murder. And it sat with her the entire day. Mm. And that night, she comes into our bedroom, sits on the, ta- uh, sits on the bed, and we have the talk. Oh. Hmm. I'll explain the talk, but before. Empathy is so important because what empathy does is it tells you to stand in someone else's shoes. How old is Aiden? Aiden's 11. Aiden's 11. And Alexis is nine, the same as Jordy. So imagine you and Danae sitting down Aiden and having a talk with him about how this country really sees him. Oh, wow. How this country really sees his sister. How his country really sees his father. Hmm. Imagine Aiden being worried that every time his father or his grandfather leaves the house, that he will never see them again. Empathy is different because what empathy does is it puts the shoe on the other foot. It gives you a different perspective. It allows you to, to look through someone else's lens. Jordan tells me this weekend that when I saw that guy dying on the floor, this is my nine-year-old daughter. I saw you. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. This is from my nine-year-old daughter. Dad, I don't want you to leave the house because I don't want anything to happen to you. Dad, if the world sees you like this and people that look like you like this, how will they see my brother, who is my son, who turns two tomorrow? Dad, how will they see my brother? To have these conversations at home, we're having an uncomfortable conversation now. And we need to have uncomfortable conversations in this country. But to have this uncomfortable conversation with your daughter, it's heartbreaking. Because there's more questions than answers. There's... I don't know what to tell her. I don't. When she tells me, Dad, why do people look at people like me and people like you and people like Jada and people like AJ different? I don't know. I wish I had all the answers as a father. I wish I did. But to see her innocence at nine years old snatched out on Saturday night as me and my wife and my nine-year-old daughter sat 
and watch the different protests that are going on around this world. And I'll say the world, I won't say the country. This is a worldwide issue. There are people that are protesting and marching in Spain and France, everywhere. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And, and I told you this this weekend. I know you guys don't have all the answers. I know you don't. But I would say to you guys, you should never, ever feel guilty for being white. Never feel b- guilty for who God has created you to be. Feel guilty for being silent. Yeah. Yeah. In Proverbs 31, it said, we are called to be a voice for the voiceless. Yeah. And right now, in this country, I think more than ever, your voice and your voice is so incredibly powerful. They've always heard this from us. They've always heard this from us. Again, this is systematic. This goes back 400 years. We are only three generations removed from humans owning other humans. We are three generations removed from that. So they've always heard this from us. But what's different now is when you see these protests, when you see these silent protests, it's not just us. It's multicultural. There are different races. You know, there there are different voices that don't look like Eric and that don't look like me. Your voice is incredibly powerful and your voice is incredibly powerful. Is the, you should feel guilty for anything. The only thing you should feel guilty for is being silent. Yeah. You know, Antonio, you bring up a good, you bring up a very good point. And the reality is, is that Pastor Jim and I and folks in our community, we, we enjoy something called white privilege where we get privileges and access and opportunities that honestly other people don't. And that's wrong. Yeah. But what I've been reflecting on and, and your conversations have helped me kind of think about this is that I, I don't have any other rights that are exclusive to me. The rights that I have are the rights that you deserve as well. But one of the things that I've been thinking about is that God put me in this skin for a reason. For sure. And he Most put definitely. you in the skin that you have and you, Eric, and you, Pastor Jim, in the skin that he intended for us to have. And so you're exactly right. We don't need to be ashamed of the color that he put us in, our skin color. But the thing I've been thinking about is that if God put me in this skin, there's, there's a, a responsibility that I have to use the privilege and the platform and the, the power that culture has given me to speak up and to speak yeah. out. And my whole heart is... I'm gonna use the privilege that my skin color affords me to say, no, this is wrong. Racism is wrong. Systematic oppression is wrong. Injustice is wrong. And use this to speak up and to stand up and, and to use that power for good and to, to be a yeah. voice with the two of you and with other believers and other people of color as well. So. I'll just say this as a pastor, as a shepherd, I'm gonna use this to, to stand up and to speak out and to protect and to serve and to do the right thing. I, uh, I'm, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I, 
to me, the recent death of George Floyd, I think for America became a, a tipping point. We, we've, we've had other incidents that are tragic, and, I, and I'm not minimizing that at all. But I, I think this was a tipping point. And, and that refrain, I can't breathe, hmm. takes my breath away. It does something in the in my core, yeah. and you know you're you're always and and I, I had said you know well fix this somebody in Washington fix this, and the laws have been passed, but yeah. injustice still prevails, and there's that tension, and and I as I was reflecting on it, you know. Uh, as, as, a, as a white man, I, I'm, I'm very careful to not say I understand or I, I'm not going to minimize that. I, I grapple with that. I pastor African-American people in the church that we dearly love, dearly, dearly love. Uh, and your pain, go, just I grieve over that. I, I hear that in your voice. My nine-year-old daughter, my son, I explaining to your your son you taking off the uniform and feeling unprotected and i i hear that and there's a rawness in my spirit that it is uncomfortable and that un, that uncomfortable we we have to grapple with it uh and i think and i i'm just going to speak from my chair a little bit my pers- my perspective here and and i'm unpacking this in my mind why does this prevail the laws, we're not going to pass another law to make this go away because uh, racism is, is both an action and an attitude. We've passed the laws to change the actions, but the law cannot change the attitude. There is no law in the state of Texas that says uh, you don't, uh, it's against that you, you can be incarcerated for hating somebody. You, you, can, uh, uh, you can have uh, a certain feelings, uh, animosity to people. They don't, we don't legislate attitude. We legislate behavior and action. Yeah. But as a Christ follower, yeah. as a Christ follower, this book legislates attitude. Yeah, it does. This book demands that I am responsible not only for my action, but for my attitude. Yeah. And that is that whether that attitude is hate or that attitude is indifference. This book demands that I cannot be indifferent. And I, I, I say apologetically. Uh, it, it has awoken something in my spirit, and I'm thinking, you know, God, am I, am I late to the table? Did I, you know, I, I'm grappling with this, and I'm at this table. I'm struggling. I'm moving forward with it, but I, 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 I reflect. God has no sliding scale of His favor. There, there. That's not allowed in the kingdom of God. So we're here to dive into this and amplify 
and summons and uh, create that uncomfortable conversation in, in order to move this forward. And I have to say for myself and uh, the Anglo community, the white community that I pastor and that I live in and I associate with, that silence has been the seed of injustice. Yeah. Uh, sitting on the sidelines, we say, well, I can't pass a law, but you know what? I can lift up my voice. And this book demands that both my action and my attitudes change. And if I could, that's great, Pastor. Thank you. And I completely agree with everything that's going on, what you're saying there. And I'm going to go back to what Pastor John was saying and also what Antonio was saying with regards to the conversations that take place and the ability that you all have as pastors to lend your voice out and, and to be that, that mouthpiece. Um, Yes, you have a responsibility and an obligation, I think, to talk to the general public as well. But a lot of this, in my opinion, goes into what do we take into our homes? And you and I have talked about this as well a little bit about yep. the attitudes and the things that you talk to your kids about, you know. Because as we mentioned, this is stuff that's happened for generations and things like that. The kids did not pick this up on themselves. The people that, you know, our forefathers, they did not pick this up themselves. It was passed on from their yeah. parents and their parents and things like that. Systemic. Systemic, systemic exactly. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. built in. And if we could figure out a way to get these conversations into the household, and yes, it should probably start at the church level. Because, again, as you mentioned, Pastor, that, you know, our attitudes and our behaviors and things like that are ordained in the Bible there. How should we behave? How should we treat others? Luke 6.31 talks about do unto others as you have them do unto you. You know, it's like, that's the same. Treat me like you want to be treated. That's it. Just keep it simple and everything like that. Life is going to be good. You know, God's going to provide for us and everything. And that's something that I think needs to be brought down to every level, into the household, as well as out to the congregations that we talk to, whether it's online or in these uh, sanctuary walls and things along those lines as well. So I, I, I just want to say I agree with that. I want to also touch base with the point of the kind of the talk. And you alluded to this a little bit as well. And we, we, we kind of heard about it and everything like that. The talk that we have and the talk that I've had with my children, primarily my son and things like that, because as a young black man growing up, looking somewhat like me, a little bit lighter skinned than I am, you know, as we know my son and everything. But the fact that, again, when he goes outside the safety of his house and things like that, he is going to be viewed as a threat. How do you tell your children mm. that, you know, you love to play, you love to have fun, you love to, you know, talk to ladies or whatever it is, you know, but guess what? As soon as you leave these walls and things like that, you're going to be a threat. The, the people that you have trusted to take care of you may even view you as a threat, you know, and, and take your life and things. And so it's, uh, it's frustrating, it's difficult, but unfortunately, it's a necessary thing. It's, it's something that we've had to do from Can early on. It's our reality. Something. It is. Yeah. It's, a it's reality. our reality. And it's been, it's been, you know, we, in the church, we always talk about and discuss generational curses. Yeah. Right? There have been, these talks are generational. Because yeah. like mm -hmm. Eric just alluded to, the hatred that comes along with racism is generational. So as that gets passed down, these talks get passed down. I had the same talk with my mom. I had mm. the same exact talk with my mom. When you are driving, this is, and you are pulled over, this is what you do. Right. You put your hands where they can see them. You answer, no, sir, 
Yes, sir. No, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You don't talk back. You keep your mouth shut. You constantly keep your hands where they are in sight of whoever pulls you over. These are talks that we have to have. And these are the and same words that I'll echo to my son. Yeah. And, and I, I say to the white community, that's for one reason only, the color of the skin. That is the only reason that conversation has to happen. And that is deplorable. It's unacceptable. That is just, I, yeah. I, there's something in my spirit that just, wow. I, let me ask you guys, yeah. I, I, please, what does, what does non-silence? Compliance. What, what, what does non-silence mean to you? Compliance. Th that's what it means to me. Okay. I'm being completely honest um, in my thought process. Okay. Um, silence is compliance okay. to me. There's a drastic difference between empathy, sympathy, and apathy. It's a drastic difference in the three. Yeah. Empathy is putting your, yourself in someone else's shoes. Sympathy is feeling sorry for someone else. He will tell you, I will tell you. You don't want anybody to feel sorry for you. I love who I am. I love my culture. I love the way I've been raised. I love my mother and everything about my ethnicity. So sympathy is not what you're looking for. Apathy means it's a disinterest. You don't care. I really don't care. It doesn't affect me. What we need is more empathy, no sympathy, and less apathy. I want someone to see to listen, to listen, because right now we're in a state where anytime we say something about race or social injustice or the fact that we are treated different, it's called race baiting. It's called stoking the fires of racism. Oh, here we go with the race card again, because we don't want to have uncomfortable conversations. Mm. For me, with everything that's going on right now, I'm paying attention to what's being said, who is saying what, but more than anything else, I'm also paying attention to who's silent, because that speaks volumes. Yeah. Let me touch base. Um, there's something that was just on my heart that I wanted to share real quickly as far as like the differences between, let's say, African-American community and let's say the Anglo or white community and things along those lines. Think about how, as a black man, I live my life essentially trying to be equal to you. And this is just kind of like, I'm trying to be equal to you, which means I'm already putting you up here, saying that I'm here, I'm trying to get up to here. As a white man, non-African-American person, I, I couldn't see you saying, I want, to, I want to be like a black man, you know, kind of thing. I, you know, it's, it's, it's built in, it's not a personal thing, but it's just kind of built in how it is and how mm. either as African-Americans we're, we're taught to view ourselves and granted going back to what antonio says you know hey we've had these conversations with our parents you know his mom me, you know, me with my parents and things like that you know we're taught that we to be proud of who we are and things like that so we had no no apologies or anything like that but we we're always looking to see even as a society we want equal rights as the white man we want to be this kind of like that and it's just it's a cognitive just thought process that we just see if we could change that and say, well, we don't want to be like that. We want to be the same. 
But think about if you had to come up to that feeling and if your kids do you feel, do I want to be like this? No, I want to be the same. I don't want to have to try to reach for something. It should automatically be granted in the Bible that we are equal. God made us in his image. You know, yeah. we are like this. We, you, you yeah. both, both of you guys, Eric and Antonio, you use the word here, and, and we hear it in our culture, racism is systemic. Uh, I, I will take that and just a little further it's a sin anything that's systemic has sin nature to it it's good and i i I, i'm I'm gonna tell you i'm caught uh, i'm offended by my my own community how we can we can be a we can be a we can call out the sins of others and yeah. be so oblivious, so anesthetized to, to this sin. Yeah. Somehow excuse it. It's in the culture and, and it, it's embedded. And I think there are white people that say, I didn't cause it and I'm not fanning the flame of it. But if it's, if it's sin, it's systemic silence. We are complying. We're complying with it. Uh, so, what are some what are some proactive, uh, non breaking the silence, so to speak, yeah. that we can do? I, I invite that that input. Well, I, I think first is is, is recognition. And I, I think that's something that's happened here. Uh, we talked about this yesterday. Yeah. Um, you know, we constantly ask the Lord, Lord, heal our land. Yeah. We say it all the time. You hear it all the time. Lord, heal our land. But we won't identify what needs healing. Mm. When you go to the doctor and you tell the doctor, heal me, does he say okay? Or does he examine you first? to see what needs healing. We're constantly telling the Lord to heal our land, but we will not establish what actually needs healing. This is a start. Actually willing, being willing, able, and available to have this uncomfortable conversation, knowing that there are people that will see this online, there are people that will sit in these seats and be uncomfortable with this conversation. But the challenge is for it not to stop here. You know, if you look at these past eight days, there has been a protest in all 50 states. All 50 states. There wasn't one state that was excluded from having a protest. Mm, Think about how powerful this is. Think about the power of your voice and the power of your voice as being pastors that have been given a platform to lead people that look like them, but to also lead people that don't look like them. Yeah, and if I could tie into that as well, um, from your perspective, at least from a perspective of someone who does go to church here and who calls you his pastor, in which you are my pastor, I would like to say that even stepping it up past the part of bringing the conversation to your home, as I mentioned, we talk about what are things that we could do to kind of turn the corner, bringing that conversation to your home, educating the kids, educating the grandkids, 
as far as the right way to do things and how to value lives, you know, and how to see people as, listen, you need to value that person as an individual, not just because of the color of their skin, but just because he is a child of God. Mm. I also want to say that I'm kind of taking it to a whole nother level here with regards to the church in general and the fact that in this community, you are empowered or you are responsible for a very diverse community here and everything like that. And I say that to kind of jump into, think about the people that you're bringing into like leadership positions here in the church as well, to be able to help set those examples to where someone out in the audience can see someone like me up here with someone like you and say, I could kind of be like that too, as opposed to, I don't know how to say this tactfully, but as opposed to, here's the white pastor, here's the, the African-American congregants and things like that. You know, not saying that I want to be a pastor or someone like me wants to be, but to be able to be in that same room as far as a leadership where we can all work together. You can say, my staff is diverse enough to minister to a diverse congregation and a diverse people. And we all see each other here in places where it's important, where we can be a voice to the community. Yeah. That way you can get my input directly. I can be your advocate going out there and saying, yep, I know what's going on. So mm. I'd like to just Thank kind of you. throw it out. Yes, sir. These perspectives are important. We need to hear it. We need to have the uncomfortable conversations. Um, the things that offend the heart of God, God need to offend us. We need to be disturbed in our spirit when in, we see injustice. And I would just say to the white and Hispanic community, don't be silent, don't look away. See the plight of the black community and say enough is enough. We're not gonna stay silent, we're gonna speak up. Yeah. Uh, I was reflecting on something I read recently that, that love like hate and indifference is learned. And hmm. I think you guys are having to have necessary conversations with your children about, and your young adults as they step out into the world. I think we as people of color and uh, as, as, a, as a half Hispanic and also white, that I have a responsibility to have crucial conversations with my kids and talk to them. Hey, this is the world you live in. This is the privilege you have. But with that privilege comes a responsibility to stand up and speak up. And, and, and Eric spoke to the conversations at home. What, I'll use us since we're here. What am I doing at home to make sure that when my daughters and my son are of age, that they don't hate yours? What are you doing at home to make sure that your daughter and your son don't hate mine? Because when you get into the heart of a child, and that's exactly why scripture says that, we must all have the faith of children because they don't see what we see. They don't see what we see. When you get into the heart of a child, they see my friend. Yeah. Yeah. They see my brother. I like playing with her. She's yeah. fun. Yeah. I can laugh around her. I can joke. It's not the color of her skin. It's not her hair color. 
It's not what her parents do or who her parents are. None of the stuff and ignorance that we care about as adults do they care about as kids. They just want to have fun. They- That's why it's important what Eric said. The conversations that we have at home. And the thing that we do is we aren't willing to have these uncomfortable conversations with our children, but the world is. So now what we allow to happen is these are conversations that we skipped. So now we let the media dictate the way that our children feel about other cultures and ethnicities, as opposed to us who have the biggest influence at home, especially us as fathers, present fathers. The biggest influence at home is to have this conversation with my 14-year-old, with my 9-year-old, and eventually with my 2-year-old. Uncomfortable conversations shouldn't exist in only African-American homes. Yeah. They should exist in all homes. Yeah. Yeah. That's insightful. Uh, you know, you bring up something very important is, is really celebrating diversity mm-hmm. and saying everybody's fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. God made people different for a reason, and we celebrate that, but that doesn't make one person or one group of people more important than the other. I think that's, there's this tendency to either say, oh, uh, color doesn't matter. No, it does matter because it matters to God. I, I, I think, <laughs> I, I think but what I mean by that is- No, 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 I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I, I hear you. When, I, I hear you, you're right. When, when I look at the yes. book of Revelation, yes. Revelation 7, 9, All and tribes. 10, he All says, tribes. every tribe and tongue and nation stands before the king and worships him. Yeah. And God celebrates that. He celebrates he, diversity. Yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't, celebrates diversity. He doesn't make a distinction. He says, I like diversity. But at the same time, he hates racism. And uh, I, I just, I, that's you know, my take. When, when, when I don't know how Eric feels about this. When people say, I don't see color, that means you don't see me. That's not, that's not a good thing. You should see color. It's the difference between seeing color, choosing to see color, and judging that color. There it is. If you don't see color, then you don't see me. Because I'm a colored man. I am a black man. My son is a young black boy. My daughters are young black and Mexican girls. We should see color. Like you said, the Lord celebrates diversity. So not seeing color when the Lord tells us this in Revelations that I see all tribes and all languages and all people. Everybody, he's not saying everyone out there is the same color. He celebrates diversity, but we feel like if we say that we don't see color, that that's a good thing. No, I have always stood by that. If you refuse to see color, then you refuse to see me and my community. That's good. But like you said, it's the judging of that color to associate this color with a certain attribute or whatever that is less than the perfection that God made us to be. That's where the problem comes in right now. So sure enough. Pastor, I just want to invite you to jump in and I know that the Bible talks a lot about diversity. It also talks a lot about racism. Help, help us 
understand God's perspective about both topics and, and what we need to understand from God's word. Scripture addresses attitude. The New Testament says this. If you say you love God, but you hate your brother, here's what God says. You're a liar. God's standard is you can't hate somebody I created and love me. That's incompatible. And somehow in the American culture, and unfortunately sometimes in the American church, yeah. that dichotomy exists. That does not exist in God's word. Here's what Jesus said. <clears throat> Jesus was asked, well, what, what is the law? What should we do? Jesus said, well, first off, you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbors yourself. The biggest and in the Bible is right there. We want to love God, but we want to choose who we accept. We're not given that privilege. We're not given that. And love your neighbor as yourself. This book, from cover to cover, God created everyone in his image yeah you're in God's image God did not make a mistake in any aspect no one is a mistake they're fearfully and wonderfully made by God mm. and God says if my attitude does not align with that my attitude is wrong and I and I must correct that I'm going to jump into some I'm going to rattle some cages with this okay I'll probably <laughs> probably get some emails and some and some uh, disputes on this. Twice in the Bible, the Ten Commandments are given. Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Two times in the Bible, the Ten Commandments are given. They are identical in both places in the Bible. I'm going somewhere with this. It begins with the Ten Commandments, and the first commandment is, you know, you have no other God before me. That's verse number two. No one ever reads verse number one. Hmm. No one ever reads verse number one. There is a group of scholars that believe the numbering of the Ten Commandments was inadvertently done wrong and commandment number one, it was left out. Because no one ever quotes the first verse in both of the occurrence of the Ten Commandments that are in the Bible. What does that first verse say? God starts speaking in the first verse. Here it is. And God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Hmm. There are scholars that believe the first commandment should be, thou shalt love the Lord and thou shalt never oppress or misuse another person. Yeah. It, that is actually, according to scripture, the first commandment. Now, I'm, I know I'm gonna get mail out of this, but it's in the Bible. Yeah. That actually agrees with what Jesus said. Love the Lord and treat your neighbors yourself. That yeah. is actually in Scripture as the premise. 
Yeah. Thou shalt love and honor God, and thou shalt never oppress and misuse another person. I think that speaks volumes. And that was inadvertently in the numbering of the Ten Commandments that's believed hmm. to have been missed. I, I think that is the gospel message. And Scripture demands that I, I hmm. take ownership of my attitude. And I, I think we have to call the body of Christ to live yeah. out to live out that standard. Uh, my heart grieves yeah. with the pain that you feel. Yeah. But you know more importantly, God's heart grieves. Yeah. And we came out here, this is in the COVID era. COVID era. And I think there's almost something symbolic about this moment. Hmm. We didn't wear a mask. There's a moment we came together and we took off the mask and to have a real uncomfortable conversation. I also think it's very timely that we're in this season, in this moment, because most of the people who are going to watch this, in fact, Everyone who's going to watch this is going to watch this at home. And this is a conversation that, as we've been talking about, needs to happen in the home. And I think this is one of those moments where we need to invite, we need to challenge those of you who are watching, have this conversation at home with your children and with your spouse and with your friends. These, this is important. We, we need to have these conversations. Pa Pastor, I want to... I wanna highlight something that you and I, we talked about, in fact, this morning, about how God wants to, us to see one another as a neighbor, to, to see one another as a neighbor and as a friend. And you, you were telling me a story in the Bible of the Good Samaritan. Would you share with us kind of some insights from that as well? Well, Scripture, we, we have heard the phrase, the Good Samaritan. In fact, that's even in our secular conversation, be a Good Samaritan. A Good Samaritan is... Is, is really a terminology, it's a colloquialism to be, to be the best, to be caring, be loving, etc. It's, it's in the Gospel of Luke, and here's what it says, that there was a man that was beaten up, left for dead on the side of the road, and two of his own countrymen, two of his own kind color, walked by a teacher of the law and a priest, Oh, I'm not going to get involved in that. Mm. Didn't do anything wrong. Mm. They were silent. Passed on the other side. The Bible says someone out of the culture, the Jewish people and the Samaritans were rival races at that time. They were, that was, that there was prejudice among that. Yeah. A Samaritan came by and saw this Jewish man, stopped, took care of him, and took him in, paid the bill, said to attend to him. And then Jesus asked the rhetorical question, who is really his neighbor? Yeah. And it is the Samaritan. The Samaritan crossed a social, an ethnic, a philosophical, crossed that line yeah. and said, 
This is a human being. Yeah. The one race we have is the human race, not different races. And, and this is, racism is not a, it's not a skin issue. It's so, a sin issue. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what it is. And silence is a sin issue mm-hmm. too. Yes. You, you, know, you know what's weird? We talk about silence. And you just spoke on the Good Samaritan and um, the two that walked by, one of them was a priest and one of them was yes. uh, a scholar. You think about what silence can bring. The Holocaust. The Holocaust could, could have been prevented if the Pope was willing to speak up. Yeah. But he stayed silent. Yeah. The Pope at that time stayed silent. And think of what the Holocaust represents today for millions and millions of people. It's unconscionable. Because of that silence. Because of silence that was chosen as opposed to having an uncomfortable conversation with someone that should not have been in leadership at that time. I'm going to... Sometimes these conversations come off as you can be so prideful about who you are that it almost comes off as if you're hating someone else. You know what I mean? So if I say black lives matter, that I'm saying blue lives don't, or that I'm saying white lives don't, or that I'm saying brown lives don't, I know I will be the first to sit here and tell you, I know all white people are not racist. Some of my best friends are white. I know that all cops aren't crooked. Mm -hmm. My niece is a deputy sheriff in Tampa that I diligently pray for every day because they are going through protests and rioting in Tampa. I know this. But the same way that I know this about your culture, the same way I know this about cops, I've had great exchanges with cops that are fantastic at their job and they are there to protect and serve only. I will never be as ignorant to say all cops are bad and all white people are this. No, no, no. No way, no how. But the same energy that I put toward that, I ask you to put that same energy toward me and Eric and Matt and Pat and the fact that all black men aren't a threat. I agree with that. I agree with that. Here... Here's, here's the question that I have. What can white people, what can more specifically believers do to be allies to the black community? How, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it real practical. How can I show up for you, my friend, my friend and coworker? What can I do? What can we do to show up. And, and I know that, again, for whatever reason, the statement Black Lives Matter has become politicized. But I was telling Pat just before this moment that when I think of that, I think of you. I think of Jada. I think of Jordy. I think of AJ. I think of you. I think of Chris. I think of Pat and Lois. I think of Chris. I think all the people that I love, all the people that Jesus lived and loved and died for, how can, how can I turn a blind eye to that? 
And so help, help me, help us show up in ways that are meaningful for you, for, for the black community, the African-American community in general, but specifically for you, what does that look like? I can say this, um, excuse me, uh, how can you show up and how can you uh, basically make it sure that my life matters? I will tell you real quickly, I don't know how much time we have, but one, I'm honored the fact that you all brought us up here to talk about this and to have these uncomfortable conversations and that sort. Um, my experience is probably different than other of my black brothers and sisters out there in the community. A lot of similarities, but a lot of differences. Um, so each experience, you know, like Matt may have a certain experience, you know, my brother Rodney may have a different experience, other folks around that I know who belong to this congregation may have a different experience and a different expectation, except for the fact that we all want to be treated as equal. That's really kind of what it comes down to. Again, not, not, we don't necessarily have to be treated the same, but just kind of treated as equals. And when you go into a conversation and things like that, don't think that I am less than you because of the color of my skin, because there's so much that went into making up this person, this Eric and everything. So much that went into making up Antonio and others and things like that. When we walk into a room together, we should be seen as equal. You know, same respect, same everything without an issue of, he's just, a, you know, he's just one of them kind of thing. There's no, there's no them, it's like, we're all together. So yeah. that's kind of a thought that I would like to just kind of put out there for you. That's good. I, I talked to my mom yesterday, and she marched in the 60s. Mm. And she told me yesterday, she said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say what she said verbatim. Baby, I'm tired. Mm. Yeah. I'm tired of the rhetoric. I'm tired of having to worry about if my son is going to be okay. Um, I'm tired of worrying about my grandson and my grandchildren. Recognize the fatigue. Recognize, listen, like th that's the, that's, I think for me, a lot of my frustration and I hate using the word, but it's, Anger. A lot of the anger comes from not caring. Really, genuinely not caring because it doesn't impact or affect you and yours. My wife, for the past six or seven days, is not sleeping. When she prays over our family and for me and our family, she's in tears every single time. Every time. Because she's not black, but when she sees George Floyd, Aaron Gardner and Michael Brown and Philando Castillo, all of these, Tamir Rice and Trayvon Martin, she can see her husband. Wow. 
She can see her son. She can see her nephews. Life is about choices. Like you said, racism is a sin issue. It's also a choice. We have a choice on what we choose to acknowledge, who we choose to stand with, whether or not we are choosing to be silent. I so respect the fact that you were willing to sit up here with us and rattle cages. I respect that more than you will ever, ever know. You have married me. You have baptized me. You have, I have stood right up here and you have given my children over to the Lord with you over top of them. But what you have done today was different. This was different. This was a different impact that you've had on me, that you've had on my family. And Lord willing, those that are out there and that are seeing this can see the heart of you, can see the heart of you, like I know we do. Pastor, first of all, thank you. Yeah, thank, uh, thank you, you for your, your heart thank and your you courage for, for sharing. At, yes. the, it, it, if I'm honest, this was a challenging, we're stepping ourselves out, but we know that this is different for you. This is different. So we thank you for, for stepping out. I, I, I want to ask a question, Pastor. Uh, Antonio mentioned about choices, how people make choices in their heart. And, and I wonder, there might be some people out there who, who sense in their heart, their heart is grieved, but, but maybe there's been some, maybe not overt racism, but maybe there's been some prejudice and some bias. What does the word of God tell us about how we can change our heart and change our attitude to align with God, because I think there might be some people who are, who are sensing the conviction of God. And I hope, I hope that there are people who are hearing God's heart in this. It's, our hope is not that they hear us, but that they see him and they hear him. What can, what can believers do to change their heart and change their perspective and change their attitude? Help us, help us understand how to do that. The heart changes when repentance takes place. And, and sometimes latently, uh, dormantly, we can say, you know what, I, I'm not prejudiced or I'm not a racist. And, and then somehow excuse behavior that occurs. I think I have to own, I think I have to buy into what Jesus said if, if they mistreat you, if, if they mistreat you, Jesus said, when they do it unto you, they do it unto him. Hmm. And I, I don't have permission to let something offend God and not offend me. Yeah. I have to feel what God feels and I think where I, I am 
and in this moment, I, I something is stirring in my heart that I can't articulate fully. There's, there's more here than is able to come out. But I have sensed in this moment, I feel like I've reached up and grabbed God's hand and I feel the pulse of God's heartbeat. And then I've reached out and I've held on to society and the black community and I'm feeling their heartbeat. And at the same time, I feel yours and I feel God and inside I'm feeling that tension. And I think for, I think for us is we've got to be, we've got to be honest. We, I may not have overt action, but if I have attitudes, I'm just as wrong. Society says you can have a bad attitude, you just don't do the action. You can do whatever you want. And God said, there's some attitudes that will never enter the kingdom of God. Hmm. Racism offends the heart of God. Hmm. And God's word says, you'll never enter heaven if you say you love me but you hate somebody else. Uh, I, think we have to, I think we have to own attitudes and not excuse them and be, be repentant and not blame it. And I, I, I think sometimes we can, ex- human beings are great at excusing, I do. <laughs> I, can, you know, I can excuse, I, I think I have to own that and say, woe is me, God, and forgive, forgive me. Hmm. Uh, I, I'm feeling I'm hmm. feeling repentance in my heart yeah. because I'm I think I'm feeling the heart of God yeah. and um, the America we see is not I think God looks at it and said that's not what I had in mind that's not what I had in mind and I your words Antonio God, heal our land. Yeah. Yeah, you gave me new insight into that. Wow. Sobering. What's interesting about that passage, Antonio, is he says, if my people, he's speaking to us. He says, if my people, he's not talking about the world, he's talking to us about believers, will humble themselves and say, I'm not going to be prejudiced, I'm not going to look down on people, I'm gonna choose humility. But if they will humble themselves and they will pray and seek my face. And here's, here is the key pivotal point. Cause I think many of us, we want to humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face. But this fourth one is a necessary ingredient. It's being willing to say, I turn from my wicked ways. That's what repentance is. It's, it's a change of heart attitude and turning in the other direction. It says, if you do those four things, then and only then will I hear from heaven. And yes, people want their land healed, but he will forgive their sin. And then he will heal our land. Amen. And I, I, my heart has been grieved 
Uh, and I'm glad for it. I'm glad I'm feeling the heart of God. I'm glad that this is messing with me. I'm glad that I'm irritated and I'm frustrated because I realize that I've just had this experience for the past couple days, but this has been your experience. Yeah. And it's good for me to feel that so that I can say, God, change me. Change my heart. Change my family. Change the heart of my kids. We're having conversations with our kids about this, very candid conversations, because it's necessary and it's, it's important. And I just want to encourage every Westover family to have those conversations with your kids. They need to hear from us. They don't need to hear from the culture. But then the church needs to hear from all of us. They need to hear from us as pastors. To, to, to go off your, to go off of what you just said as far as turning from your wicked ways, and no one sitting up here is perfect. No one sitting up here is perfect. But to turn from our wicked ways, we must first recognize that those ways are wicked. And I think that's incredibly important because it's difficult. And that's why conversations like this are imperative because it's difficult to turn away from something that you realistically don't know is wrong. Well, I want to just say as we wrap up, Thank you, Antonio and, and Eric, and for just sharing. And I, we open our heart and our ear and own the responsibility to be a light, salt and light in this moment to, to do better yeah. and call and lead people to do better. Uh, Thank you, Pastor John. You know, the only way reconciliation and, and restoration can happen is through repentance. We have to do that. And so I just want to challenge our folks to go to that place, go to that place and have that conversation with the Lord and say, God, search me and know me and help me move forward. Uh, as we look forward, and, and again, this is, not just, this is not just a one and done conversation. This is a dialogue. This needs to be a conversation. This needs to be us continuing to understand your experience and understand how, how we can move forward as the church. Uh, but I was thinking today, uh, I was thinking today about the words of Dr. King in his speech, I Have a Dream. He, he said some words, some hopeful words about the kind of America and community of faith that he was praying for. And he talked, he talked about how we need to just, we need to pursue that dream. And, and I, I believe that his words were the dream of God. And, and so we, we put together a clip of that speech and we'd like for you guys to watch it. And we wanna watch it together and hear the heart of God. And then we'd like, for you to offer some thoughts about his words and what that dream means. And so I just invite us to take a look. This nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Freedom 
women just as I have a dream. That my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low the rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together this is our hope this is a faith that i go back to the south with with this faith we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope with this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day. This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when this happens, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spirit. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. What does that bring up for you? Um, first, it takes me back to my childhood. Because my mom made us watch that over and over and over wow. again wow. growing up. Um, but when I see this, it's funny how the first two clips were about children. Yeah. You know, little, like little black boys and black girls, and little white together. girls and white girls just playing together. Just for me, this isn't a black and white issue. Yeah. It never has been. This is a justice versus injustice issue. Yes. This is a right versus wrong issue. This is a us versus racism issue. Yeah. So as much as we love to talk about the black and white issue, and what's amazing to me is Martin Luther King was killed 53 years ago. But those words, every word that he just said, through his I have a dream speech still rings true today. Wow, that's insightful. We shouldn't be yeah. okay with progression. Oh, well, things aren't the way they used to be. That's not enough. 
Yeah. I love the, the, the end of that speech. I think it is so telling. When we can all stand hand to hand together and sing from the old Negro spirituals, free at last, free at last, thank, thank God, God Almighty, Almighty, we are free at last. Yeah. That still rings true 53 years later. Yes, we've come a long way. But Lord knows we have a long way to go. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. You know, it's one of those things, um, kind of going back to the beginning of the conversation of how even after all these years, we're still seemingly fighting the same battles, you know, mm-hmm. seemingly fighting these same exact battles. And of course, Martin, uh, Dr. King was a pivotal pers- uh, person in history, you know, changed lives, changed mm-hmm. perceptions, things like that. Theoretically, but again, the fact that we're still here today where we were 50 plus years ago and things like that, man, it, it's, uh, I don't want to be a downer and say that it's frustrating, but it is, you know, it, it's, 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 uh, but it's a sad reality. And again, as a congregation, as a people, yeah, coming together and where we can be together, where everybody celebrates life together, that would be the ultimate goal. Um, mm-hmm. Real quickly, want to go back to what Pastor said and what you were saying with regards to the scripture and how we talk about turning from their wicked ways, if we would turn from the wicked ways. If I recall, Pastor, not too long ago, you had given a, a briefing about, or at least a, a sermon about repentance in general, and I think you mentioned something about that means turn around, essentially, turning away completely. And we talked about repentance and what that means, and you know, if we could just give it up and not just continue down the same road, but turn around and say, look, listen, we're going the wrong direction. Let's change that completely. And let's go back to what God has called us to be. I think that's where um, we need to be. And uh, I think at one point we'd ask the question about what can we do or what can you all do, let's say, as um, non-African-American folks and how you can influence the community and things. Additionally, um, for those who are not up here, who do not have a voice, I would say maybe tell others, just reach out to those uh, black friends or African-Americans who are out there who don't have a voice, who are hurting, who are sitting on the sidelines and just wanting someone to talk to, to be able to share their experience. So it's not just me going back home talking to my family. And yes, I have a mixed family, um, Caucasian wife and, you know, mixed kids and things like that. But, you know, going back to black families and things, and we have those conversations, but take it out, reach out to them so they know that we are together. And that would be most helpful, I think, in general. Thank you so much. Now, this is the first conversation but I want to assure you this isn't the last conversation. We need to keep talking about this. And you're right. We may not be able to change this generation. Some will. But we can work to change the next generation. And so I, I just, I want to say let's continue to move forward as brothers and sisters in Christ and advance and pursue unity while we celebrate diversity. But I think, I think you're right. We need to ask God to forgive our sin, heal our hearts so that he can heal our land and heal our community. And pastor, I just would invite you to close us with a prayer so we can seek the heart of God. Father, I pause at this moment in a very sobering and surreal moment not only as a pastor and as a church, but as Americans. We see division that you didn't create. 
but we excused. We ignored it. And our silence has now spilled over and it has awakened something and somehow I cannot help but believe God that you're fanning the flame of of conviction in America. Mm -hmm. I ask God, forgive us. Forgive our silence. God, forgive our indifference. Mm -hmm. Sharpen our awareness and our sensitivity to others. Let us never again take a middle ground with racism. God, help us to, to be your voice, to extend your heart, to extend your values in our culture and push back this ugly, horrible sickness, this disease in America called prejudice and racism. I pray, God, pray over America. I pray, God, for the African-American community in this country. They're wounded, they're hurt, and that hurts your heart. And I pray, God, extend your favor, your grace, your protection. God, turn this moment, turn this country around. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank Antonio and Eric and Pastor Jim for sharing your heart with us. And I want to thank you for joining us today for this very important conversation. This is one conversation, and we're going to continue to have more conversations about how we can create unity in the church. God bless you.